is not here sadly no Wes now Wes is um, currently in the state of New York he is at the uh, the, the trial the uh, for, for Donald Trump where he is uh, the, the civil trial where he is going to be uh, demanded to pay some sort of uh, sum of money in order to you know big because he committed fraud in the state of New York and Wes is there to help Donald Trump deliver the, his his closing remarks which they I heard he was actually shouted yeah I heard he was shouted down during uh closing oh. remarks by the judge yeah so so yeah wild uh, I actually have not seen the <laughs> transcript or anything for this but yeah fucking wild that like at, at first like he was like I'm going to deliver uh mm-hmm. closing arguments or closing remarks and then uh like because his lawyer said that he wouldn't be able to abide by the rules of like not making any personal attacks. He's like, no, you can't do this. But then they decided to let him do it. And then like, <laughs> after he ranted for like five minutes, the judge would be like, you know, shut up and sit down. We're, we're done here. Yeah. And this, this guy, this, this fucking huckster is doing everything he can to make sure he has to pay the most money possible. It's bizarre. You know, he used to be president of a country. That's that's absurd to me. I also this heard he was country. a real estate magnate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this this fucking fraudster. Anyway. Well, just uh, today, just today there's a podcast I like called um If Books Could Kill. It it sort of talks largely about non-fiction books and about like pop psychology. Kind of kind of like, you know, the the most popular like self-help books or books that you would see at like um at a, an airport or something. It just sort of trashes them just sort of does does a much more thorough critique of what their like thesis is in all of these books um some of which are, are you know just very very popular books so but the just, literally just today the book that they did was um uh the trump book the art oh, of the art. deal mm-hmm. yeah it's <laughs> the one that he didn't write is that a yeah. ghostwriter yeah yeah they had a ghostwriter and the guy that wrote it was a uh like a just a what, what do you call it like a real estate reporter essentially he was already a writer for like a bunch of major papers in new york so it was someone that was already like inside the scene Hmm. but yeah i don't know he is a fucking con artist and a cartoon character what a piece of shit and he might be the president again (laughs) but anyway that's not what we're here for that's what wes is doing right now Oh, two other bits of news. Can we get, you know, we got to put a timestamp on this thing, right? Sure. Okay. Uh, two of the winningest coaches in their respective re- uh, sports retired or with, like resigned from their jobs. Yeah. That being Bill Belichick of the Pats oh, and Nick Saban of Alabama, the oh, Alabama the Crimson Tide. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I didn't think, uh, I think they'd have to drag Belichick out of there, but hey, end of an era. I don't know if he'll coach again either. I'm not sure if, if he wants to step into some other kind of operational role or if he's just done coaching I mean it seems like he probably still wants to he seems like the kind of guy that wants to die on a football field you mm-hmm. know I think that that's just his life like he's probably one of those people that doesn't, never wants to retire so but he's, he's got to he be in his he's got to be in his 60s his mid 60s by now 
Probably, if if not even older than that, I believe at the I think currently the oldest and also retired. Um, it's the Seahawks coach. I believe he just announced that he would be retiring as well. Um, he doesn't look it, but I think he's the oldest coach. Is that all the news? Is that all the news we got? I mean, I think also Nick Saban retiring is a huge joke. Oh, Pete Carroll, that's his name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Nick Saban's retiring, and I think I think it's because you know about the whole transfer portal thing or the. NIL stuff that's happening in college football. I don't. It's really changed the shape of the way that the sport operates. And like Nick Saban is a great recruiter and a great like, you know, like uh, system builder kind of guy. And the NIL really means recruiting means a lot less for teams. So he's going to have, a hard, in theory, he would have a hard time, a harder time recruiting the best players he could get and other teams would catch up. So it's also probably just a headache for him for a guy who's like spent however many decades, you know, just doing football a certain way to have to kind of change his approach to how he's going to build the team. He's not interested in a level playing field. Right, right. I mean, why, why would you want that? And, and again, it's it, because it used to be punitive. It used to mean that players would have to sit out a year if they were going to change schools. And now because they can enter what's called the quote-unquote transfer portal, it means that they can kind of hop around from program to program if they want and there's less repercussions for them for doing so. So if like, you know, all of these like really talented, like highly sought after players that just go to Alabama and end up on the second string and play half a season and then go in the second round of the NFL draft, like those guys will now have a chance to like go somewhere else to play. They don't just get stuck there behind somebody else who's good hoping to get minutes. College they, students. Sh- they should be starting on another team. Yeah, college students though, yeah. Right, right. I mean, it's that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's hard hard to think of them as as not professional athletes at that point. Right. You know, strange that they're not getting paid. All right. All right. Well, at any rate, we should we should actually talk about the thing we're supposed to talk about. <laughs> yes, which is video games. So last show we did a big wrap up of all the stuff, all the noteworthy stuff from 2023. This month or this week, I wanted to start by looking into what we know about for 2024. So we'll just kind of go through the list, and if there's anything we want to say about any of these. Uh, if we're excited about them, uh, we'll go ahead and, and stop. We'll probably just blast through a lot. And then we got some games that we're playing that we'll talk about. And then we'll get back into doing some tier rankings, which will be fun. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. And actually, just breaking news, hot off the presses, about an hour ago, Nintendo announced a couple of other or new games that they'll be adding to their Nintendo Switch Online service for the Game Boy Advance. They're going to put Golden Sun and Golden Sun The Lost Age on to that service on the 17th of this month. So pretty cool that those games are being added. We've talked about, yeah, we talked about Golden Sun. Recently, right? Didn't that yeah. game just come out? And, and from the perspective of our retro show, that one just came out. Right, right. Uh, and that's a game that I like a lot. Very cool that they're putting that and the sequel both at the same time because they're essentially like two sides of the same coin. Uh, Lost Age is a direct continuation of Golden Sun because I had to cut that game in half basically because the the scope yes, of the game got the too yeah it got too large for um, what they could fit on the cartridge mm-hmm. but then the next day a couple of noteworthy games uh, Prince of Persia The Lost Crown which is a game that I'm getting more excited for the closer it gets because it looks like a really cool Metroid style um, action platformer mm-hmm I've got that one pre-ordered. There is uh, also a smaller game. Remember that game 
a couple years back, Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Yes, yes, I remember that. It was most noteworthy for its name. It's like high concept title. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, you know, at, at, at its core is basically like a micro Zelda style game where, you know, you're going from point to A, point B on a map to, you know, go through a dungeon, get an item, which will open up more of the map for you. It's kind of like a really small version of that. Um, that game's getting a sequel called Turnip Boy Robs a Bank. Not nice. qu- yeah, not quite as a um, as high concept or as silly a a title as commits tax evasion because <laughs> that one just... really escalated, didn't it? Right. <laughs> um, but you know, so still, it's, uh, I thought that was a, a fun enough little game, and I'm interested enough to keep an eye on the sequel here. And then there's a uh, sort of horror game called Choo Choo Charles. It's like a horror take on Thomas the Tank Engine coming out the same day. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Wild. I don't know what it is about like Thomas the Tank Engine, but it seems to be popping up all the time in pop culture now. And I never really like I never watched Thomas the Tank Engine. I don't have any connection with that particular franchise. But I don't know. Maybe it's like just a confirmation bias. Uh, I'm looking for Thomas the Tank Engine, so I see it more. Mm. But it seems to be everywhere. Yeah, that could be. I don't know how they make a show about these. Uh, you know, anthropomorphized things that have to be on railroad tracks to get where they're going. Like, it seems like it's hard to tell just a a story where they, like, you know, go to the grocery store or something. Like, <laughs> if there's not tracks that lead them to that exact position, how do yeah, they what, do that? What, what is, yeah, what is your data? Like, where's the drama in uh, the, the struggles of a train? Like, oh no, it got derailed again. It seems like the, the conflict is going to come from the same sources every time. And to be clear, this isn't like a train sim, is it? Not that I'm aware, no. Oh, okay. Like, that's the most obvious thing that you do with trains, is make a train sim, and they're just like, let's not do that at all. Yeah, that's the low-hanging fruit. I think it's like a, uh... You know what? If I were making this game, it'd be like a Left for Dead style, like, one person's <laughs> the killer. It's the, the, the Choo-Choo Charles. Oh, uh, anthropomorph- anthropomorphized train. Goddamn, I can't get that word out. Anyway, um... Not a horror game. Uh, the another code noted F tier franchise is getting yeah. a new, a new entry. Back from the grave to spit in our face for burying it. <laughs> I know, right? But they're doing a ton of work on this uh, remake because they're they're like changing around uh, puzzles and environments. It's not just like a like an upres or a, like a, a shot for shot remake. They're actually changing things around. I think it's impressive for a game that like. I mean, it's probably... I don't want to, like, make too many, like, big predictions, but it's probably not going to sell. I think it's got a better chance on Switch than it ever had, like, on DS back in 2006 or 2007, whenever it came out. But... I mean, that was... I think we kind of agreed on that when we did our ranking for that one. And our closing remark for it was to say that it it was sort of ahead of its time, that the gaming space now allows for things like Life is Strange and Disco Elysium... There's a lot of narrative games where this would work probably really well. So I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think it'll do better than it did then, but I don't, it I don't know. It has to sell about 150,000 copies. Right, <laughs> <That clips, laughs> <it's laughs> the bar is low. Right. But I, I think like if you know the right sort of like uh, gaming journalists or gaming influencers give this a bit of attention, like if it's a good. A remake and a quality product. I think that you know they they could see some success with this, but 
Although, what, what, I don't know, what do you think it would take to get this out of the F tier? Like, if it sells a million, does it move oh, up to the D? For sure. We could, we would, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I think, I think at that point, you at least have to make it a D minus. Okay. There we go. If it, if it, yeah, if it's remaster can sell a million units, we'll we'll do that. We'll do that for sure. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Yeah, I mean, I'm. We, we make this seem so high stakes, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> hey, only nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine copies to go. They've already got right. my money. <laughs> um, and then on the twenty fifth of this month, the Apollo Justice Ace Attorney trilogy, which I think are the fourth, fifth, and sixth game in the Ace Attorney franchise are coming to the switch getting a remake they did um i'm pretty sure they did the phoenix Wright trilogy maybe last year but capcom bringing some uh, some more lawyer visual novel puzzle games to switch there they are mm-hmm. moving into february tomb raider 1 2 and 3 remastered are out on the 14th any interest in these I don't know. I mean, probably not. I feel like my docket's pretty full. I keep using all of these stupid law terms because we got stuck in, it's like the Trump thing stuck in my head, but a lot of games to work through. So I don't know if I'm going to be going through any of the, any of those titles anytime soon. What about you? Are you going to? No, not really. I'm more interested in the Marvel's Donkey Kong game that's out two days later. Um, mm-hmm. And that's uh, one that I played on the GBA. It's a remake, but it seems like they're adding a lot of content because if I can do math correctly, the original version had about 48 levels and then this remake they're saying there's 130 levels and they're putting in co-op so it seems like they're adding quite a bit of content in addition to remaking all the stuff and i I like these sort of um like puzzle platformers you know if you think of like a, a mario maker level where it's like a puzzle room and you have to figure out the sequence of things you're supposed to do things in this is kind of what mario versus donkey kong is in this iteration um after this Game Boy Advance game, it will turn into more of like a lemming style, you know, uh, have your like little mini mechanical Mario's march around and alter the environment to get them to go on the correct path. Mm. But uh, before, like this in this Game Boy Advance game, before they did that lemming style, it was more like um, there's a game called Donkey Kong '94 for the Game Boy that was uh, kind of a similar like puzzle platformer, you know. Uh, find the 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 route and like Mario actually has platforming skills like backflips and handstands and triple jumps and things like that to uh, actually have more agency over maneuvering the level. Like and uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see how interested the kids get in, get in this one. I think that Ripley might have some fun with this in uh, in co-op. And we have an early nominee for best titled game in 2024. It's not Terran. Sheeran the Wanderer, the Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. Okay, Sheeran the Wanderer. That sounds interesting. The Mystery Dungeon of Serpent Coil Island. Uh, this is a, a series that has been around for a little while. I don't think that we've seen it in North America since the the Wii and DS games. This uh, is a follow-up. Is it to, sorry, the Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate? Oh, that's that's a great name too. My goodness! Wow, wow! wow, wow. But these are like really old-school, crunchy, dungeon-crawling games where mm-hmm. you know, uh, like like a, a roguelike, um, where you know you enter a dungeon and if uh, you're kind of like moving along a grid and enemies move along with you, and when you die, you lose everything and get kicked back out. So you have to be mindful of like how much further you can go before you retreat and sort of 
reconsolidate and make another one at it. Sherlock's got things to say. <laughs> Sherlock's big Sheeran fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, he, he was upset though. It's not Ed Sheeran. That it's a different spelling. Of... <laughs> oh, that's a crossover that we need. Is it Sheeran? No, it actually is. S H I R E N. I'm not sure if we're pronouncing that. No, it actually did, is. Did, a, it's it's pretty. You watched the video. Yeah, Sheeran. Sheeran the Wanderer. Mm. Okay, all right. I believe you. And then uh, that that one's out on February 27th. Uh, Princess mm-hmm. Peach Showtime is out on March the second, moving into March, and this is another one that uh, I'm definitely going to be picking up and uh, playing with uh, Ripley and Mika if she's interested. Because yeah, it's uh, Princess Peach in a game. What's uh, what's to not love about that? Yeah, same. It looks pretty cool. Uh, Unicorn Overlord is out on the third. Uh, that's a game from Vanillaware, who's done a lot of like really nice looking, like hand drawn. Uh, style games and this one looks uh, really cool as well sort of a um, a like RTS style game yeah like like a tactics RTS uh, which Hmm. uh, yeah looks really really cool Um, Aiden Chronicles 100 Heroes is out on April the 23rd that's the Suikoden inspired like spiritual successor game uh, turn taking RPG with tons and tons of recoupable characters that one looks really cool Scarlet Emerald Beyond is out on the 25th of April that's the one that we talked about just recently at a direct I don't think we need to retread any of that territory and the Braid Anniversary Edition is out on April the 30th I'm pretty excited for that one because I've never been able that's a classic yeah 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 I've never been able to like play the full version of it because it's never been on a Nintendo console before Mm mm-hmm so there it is. Um, that's everything that we know like has solid release dates. Outside of that, uh, Fantasy Life I, Luigi's Mansion 2, and another Legend of Heroes game, Trails Through Daybreak, are scheduled for quarter three, which for Nintendo would be somewhere from um, like August, September, October sort of range, I think is their quarter three. Mm. Okay. And then there, we know about a bunch of things that are just sort of a nebulous 2024, including Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door remake, Contra, Operation Galuga, and I don't know about you, Ryan, but we, they've mm-hmm. released a couple of videos for this Contra remake, or not remake, but a sort of reimagining of Contra 1. Uh-huh. I'm getting more excited for it. I think I've seen a little bit of this too, and it looked pretty cool. It's starting to look legit. Yeah. So and then, uh, this is made by WayForward. We've mentioned them before. They do the Shantae games. They did the Contra Four game for the original DS. They do quality work. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we're going to get a Contra game that's that's a worthy follow up to Contra Three, Contra Four. Bill and Lance are at it again. Bill and Lance are at it again, and there's a uh, four player co op, which would be great because now Wes has no excuse. Yeah. Unless he's got to be in court again. Mm-hmm. But we'll hope not. Uh, let's see. Uh, Deca Police is one that from Level Five. We've talked about that one. That one kind of got pushed into this year. Uh, the Plucky Squire is one from Devolver Digital that looks really, really cool. Uh, Penny's Big Big Breakaway, Little Nightmares Three. Like that's a series that was supposed to be done, and ostensibly it is because the original developer isn't making this. The uh, mm-hmm. Namco picked up uh, another developer in order to make Little Nightmares 3, but it looks like it's maintaining the the same sort of like really grotesque visual style. So that'll, you know, one worth keeping an eye on for sure. Metal Slug Tactics, Pepper Grinder, that's one we've talked about a bunch, like the, the drilling game, sort of a drilling platformer looks really cool. 
Planet of Lana, uh, Shantae Risky Revolution, the Sweet Code in 1 and 2 HD Remaster, Locomotive Bloomtown, a different story, is a really cool looking, like Earthbound inspired RPG. Uh, Inazuma 11 is coming out this year. Demon School, Lorelei and the Laser Eyes, Sacrifier. The new Layton game will be out this year, as well as a new uh, Necrodancer game, Rift of the Necrodancer. It looks more like a Rhythm Heaven style game rather than the other sort of. Well, like a dungeon crawler, I suppose. Uh, Necrodancer game. Uh, Mina the Hollower. Uh, the Splatoon 3 Side Order DLC is sometime this year. So, you know, there's, there's a lot in the sort of like indie space that will be available in 2024, allegedly. Some, some things get pushed sometimes, just kind of like evaporate. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Then there are some things that like. Are they coming out in 2024? I'm sure. I'm sure they are. Things like Metroid Prime 4. Will it be out this year? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I kind of doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah, especially if we're supposed to have another console drop this year. If that's still the expectation is that, you know, end of the year we're going to have some new Switch hardware or some new Nintendo hardware. They'd need something that's kind of like a baton pass, kind of like what they did with the first Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Where they were like, we you people, we're sorry that you at least get this. <laughs> but Switch, here you go. Yeah, um, I think it is still the expectation there'll be some uh, like hardware successor or that keeps the Switch name or they call it something else sometime this year. And, you know, I, th- I think that's probably correct. That's what I expect, too, because we have had the Switch for quite some time now. Um, but I, I could totally see that uh, the the new hardware launching. Um, I think some of the speculation is around like a, a new Mario game, like a, like a successor to Mario Odyssey with a new system at launch. And who knows? Maybe I think that would some like be something that makes total sense. But who can mm. say for sure? Uh, if that were the case, I could see like Metroid Prime Four getting pushed out of like. Like to me, like three to six months after the launch, um, just to give them more time with it or something. I, I don't know. Like at this point, like the game is done when it's done, and that's when we'll get it. I have zero expectation for it releasing anytime. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, uh, there's the remake of Dragon Quest Three. Uh, I don't know. And, and Hollow Knight Silk Song. Do you think that game exists? I think it probably does. <laughs> At this point, I don't know. It's becoming a Duke Nukem Forever kind of thing where, (laughs) you know, it'll probably be like 2035 when it finally comes out and we're like, eh, it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or or what was the other one? Uh, StarCraft Ghost? Yeah, right. You know, they're going to make us wait for fucking ever. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's such such a beloved game. I'm sure that, if anything, they probably are just worried that they would make something that doesn't live up to it. You know, well, I mean, they'll have to release or say something eventually. It'll probably come out. It's a game that will probably release someday. And how many millions of copies must that thing have sold? Like, it, it cannot be a budgeting issue. They should have more than enough money to make another installment. So I don't know. I, I wonder if like the 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 scope of the game has just crept over and over again to where like they're they're making something that's much bigger than they ever expected it to be. But, you know, again, I don't think 
like you're saying, I don't think money would be the issue there. It's like, oh, let's, uh, I have an idea for this. Let's put this in there, and I have an idea for this. Okay, let's make this other zone that incorporates that. So the Hollow Knight was already massive. Yeah, like the game itself was already huge. Yeah, and and you know, in my opinion, uh, to to me that was a bit of a detrimental experience about the game. Like, and it, it was probably just the way that uh, I expected the game to play out. So when when I picked up Hollow Knight. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a game that's going to be like uh, a Metroid. So I was expecting that it was going to be like um, 12, 15 hours, work through some levels, fight some tough bosses, and kind of go through it. But Hollow Knight is like a much more expansive. You have to like poke at the walls and wander around and try to figure out what it is you're supposed to do next. It's, there's a sort of like exploration puzzle element to Hollow Knight that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway. That's it. That's 2024. Maybe there'll be a That's switch. That's what we know so far. Yeah. But there's definitely going to be a bunch of games. What uh, what you been playing? Um, I think I talked about it the last episode we had, um, but I just finished up the first of the three Arkham games, Arkham Asylum. Nice. Um, well done. A really, really fun game. I liked it so much. Um, it's... Very, very good about sort of, um, it's, you know, it's isolated on the asylum itself. So basically you have this one kind of open area, like a courtyard area, and then a bunch of buildings. And then each of the buildings, when you enter them, it sort of cuts to its own little, you could think of them as these own little levels. There's like five or six really big buildings that have all of these things going on. So like one's like a, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, like a glass house thing where plants are at. There's a term for it. I can't greenhouse. It. A greenhouse. Thank you. Um, one is like the actual penitentiary of the place. One is like the medical bay. One is the mansion, the Arkham mansion. Um, so you kind of go through and explore and it's to an extent, it's very much like you get upgrades to your gear to sort of better explore the areas you get things like a zip line or um, you know, you'll get explosives that you can, like, guess, explosive gel you can put on walls to blow them out. Um, and it's good. I, I think that that keeps it kind of fun and fresh. It's just annoying that you don't get that, like, immediately because there's a lot of secrets all over the map. And the secrets are, you, you kind of want to hunt those down because they have all of the lore, which is, like, the recorded tapes from the psychiatrists that are um, doing their interrogations of all of the rogues gallery of Batman villains. Um, and I think I said it last time, but um, it, it, is, it is written by Paul Dini, um, who is uh, of Batman the Animated Series. And it's got Kevin Conroy and um, Mark Hamill is there as the Joker. Um, what, what is her name? Eileen. Gosh, I forgot her last name. I, Eileen something, the woman that's the voice of Harley Quinn. She's there. And keep in mind, her and Kevin Conroy just this past couple of years passed away. Yeah. So um, very, very sad, but it's, it's great to hear them. You know, the dialogue is pitch perfect for what you remember of the Batman, the animated series, which to me is still kind of like the definitive Batman. Um, I, I, I love the game. It's really fun to explore. The, the, the game plays really well. It's super smooth. The load yeah. times are like, not, whoa. <laughs> yeah, the load times are like non-existent. Um, so everything flows really, really smoothly. Um, the only thing that I actually kind of would say is just not that great, and you'd think it should be, is like the combat. The combat is just kind of really uh, samey and straightforward. You're basically just 
spam and attack buttons at, at giant mobs of baddies. So um, it's much more fun when you get to kind of like stealth around and get stealth takedowns, of which you can do, but sometimes you just walk into a room and there's eight thugs and you got to like, you got to throw down. <laughs> You're like, ah, shit, you close the door and like, okay, now I got to find a way to sneak in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 really good. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pick up the next installment immediately because there are other games I want to play. Um, but... I'm I'm happy with that one. It's it's good. And yeah, people say two is really good. And honestly, from what I've heard, people don't like three all that much. I mean, it sounds like it's supposed to be a good game, but everything I hear about it is criticisms. It's it's always like a you know like kind of a a, a withering compliment or a backhanded kind of compliment. Sure, I like you know, the, so. people are like oh yeah, it's good, but then they can only like say negative things about it. <laughs> right, ex- exactly. Whereas people really do seem to love these first two installments. So. Yeah, that's good. So I've, I've the the next game that for sure I will pick up, and I've literally played like ten minutes of it, so I, I have no nothing to say about it yet. But I'm gonna play Dredge. Oh, nice. Um, and then I'm gonna also pick up that Sea of Stars game. Oh, very good. That game that. So I'll play those two. As I understand, they're both fairly short run times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully, I can get to them pretty quick. I've I've been playing a couple of things. I've been tinkering with some stuff before. You know, we get to a couple of new releases with Prince of Persia and another code. I played through Mario Wonder. I gave that another run. Uh, I pretty much only did like um, so, so. How it works in Mario Wonder is the save file is attached to the player profile, and I didn't want to like use someone else's profile. I wanted to keep on using mine. Um, so. I couldn't uh, start a new game without deleting everything, so I pretty much just like, okay, I'm just gonna go through, like as an old school Mario, I'm gonna play like the critical levels, and I'll like try to like re-get the, the purple coins, and I'll like make sure that I do like the wonder seeds, um, mm-hmm. and I'll play and play through every of the, like, all the critical levels. Um, not like the, the bad challenges, I didn't feel the need to do those again, or like those hide and seek levels. I didn't really wanna do those again. So and then played through all the bosses and rolled the credits. So hot take, notable good game. Thumbs up on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did very very well with it. And I'm playing through Metroid Dread again right now. This will be the third playthrough, and it's one that um, I, I really like. And I've, I'm making some good progress. I almost have all the power up, so I'm almost ready to like do another sweep through of the map. And like the the second time I played through the game, I found that was the best way to kind of go through it, rather than like trying to backtrack. Uh, when you get a new power-up to see what you can find, it's best to just plow through till you have all your power-ups and then make another big sweep throughout the entire map to like collect everything, if you so choose. Because like, they, they do like this really genius thing, and it's really, really cool. There are certain parts of the map that will just totally change the further you get into the game. Like, you'll do something and like hit like a story event and like okay well now that you've done that all this area down here now now like the the topography like the environment of this zone is different so if you work your way through again you know you're going to be moving through it in a different way it's like this really cool like tangled web but they they do a really good job of also just like giving you like if if not directly pointing you in the right direction, like if if you get a power up and like I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go next, if you just open up your map, you'll probably find like a spot on your map close by that's like okay, there's something right here that I can use uh, my new power up in order to uh, go into this this other area, and that will usually lead you to the place you're supposed to go. So they drop the breadcrumbs really well to just keep you moving forward. 
Um, we we played a little bit of Dokapone Kingdom the other night. Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun little game. And after you guys left, actually, me and Des played for like another hour. We we started up a file. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it, it is a game like it moves much quicker when you only have two people. I don't think uh, it's a game that you'd want to play alone. Um, mm-hmm. it get a little lonely, but the um because the fun of it is the sort of uh, incidental interactions that you might have with the other players but uh, have, having four people going at once like it really takes a while to actually build some momentum but we, we yeah yeah we did uh, sort of institute some some unspoken rules where I feel like you rolled and you could take on a boss I mean, you gotta go do it doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. under leveled yeah well it's like uh, you know the di- dying is not super punitive right you just lose a turn or two. Yeah, and the worst thing so. could happen. It'll give you like some funny glasses. Right, right. It'll re-roll, <laughs> re-roll your character. What it looks like. Um, you got anything else on tap? I got one more game. Uh, no, no. I think that kind of covers it. What else you got? I played through Star Ocean: First Departure, which is a, a remake of the first Star Ocean game. It's uh, the beginning of my year-long quest to play through every Star mm-hmm. Ocean game. There's six main entries, so it's not, not a huge task. Um, and this is a, it's a remake of a Super Nintendo or I uh, suppose Super Famicom, because I don't know that it ever originally released in North America uh, until it got remade. But I think like it has some really interesting ideas for a Super Nintendo RPG. It does try to present you with some decisions in terms of like a location that you're going to go or a party member that you choose to recruit or not to um to like actually make the meaningful decisions because you know like a lot of times in older rpgs of the the nes and the super nintendo even like the the playstation they'll give you like these decisions to make that really have no impact it was like story will be happening around your character. So I'm like, what do you think of this? And you choose yes or no, and it doesn't really matter which one you pick. So mm-hmm. there are locations that will get locked out from you if you choose to go one direction over another. There are characters that will get locked out um, from from recruiting into your party if you choose to like recruit one person at a certain time or not. So there's there's not really a way to see everything the game has to offer in the first go through. So it's it's not something that like I went into thinking okay I'm gonna try to see everything because I knew I wouldn't. They also have this. Well, um, I'm gonna talk about the combat first. The combat uh, random battles, which is unfortunate, but when you enter a battle, you're entered into arena, and it's sort of like action based. You can move your character around when you start attacking. It'll kind of like zip your character over to like the nearest target that you want to go after. Um, mm-hmm. And like your your attacks are mapped to a button. A lot of times, you just kind of like spam your melee attack button, uh, depending on the character you play as. And then your shoulder buttons are gonna map specific skills. And you're only controlling one character at a time in these these real time fights. And your other characters, well, you can kind of give them guidance. You can tell them to just all out attack. You can sort of set them up to conserve their mana. You can tell them to focus on healing or just kind of cast spells the entire time. So you know you have some party manipulation there and usually like your best bet is to have them conserve as much mana as possible until you get into boss fights because most of the time the random fights aren't too big of an issue there are times where there's like this this spike of difficulty so it is uh it is good to save 
often, especially like when you enter a, a new area. Because there were a couple of times where I got into a situation where like, I go to a new zone and I made some progress and then I ran into some enemies that just like uh, cast uh, stone spells, like petrified uh, all my characters. I had two characters that were petrified and two characters that got knocked out because they didn't have the support anymore. And that was it. Game over. And I lost all my progress. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, but other- otherwise, like the battles uh, work very well. There were times where I was like, hey, I'm just going to grind for a few minutes because I was having fun playing with these fights. The other big thing that they do in this game is they give you like this like really pretty deep skill system for a Super Nintendo game. Um, there are all of these passive skills that every character can learn and every every character has a pool of the same skills they can learn and you're awarded these skill points to fill these things out uh, as you level up and like so, some of the like the skills are things like uh cooking or like different skills that you have to pair together to do like uh crafting to like make your own weapons and armor um mm-hmm. uh, things that you have to do like to, to mine materials uh, some of the skills are things that will like increase your your courage or give you like um, uh, battle buffs. Like, hey, I'm going to increase this particular skill, and it will just kind of give me a a chance that my attack will just raise in battle. And like, the more you invest in there, the better chance you have of doing things like raising your attack or dropping enemy defense. And then there are things like whistling. You can increase your skill of whistling or like animal friendship. Okay. And the thing about this this skill system is that you invest in these different skills and depending on what you're pairing together it will give you uh, more mastery to do things like craft better armor and that seems to be the most important thing that I have found these skills are useful for I didn't really use the cooking all that much um, or any of like the, the item crafting and that's really like where this crafting system or this passive skill system falls short is it's not really required in any aspect of the game they don't like it like make you like say hey let's stop for a second and make sure you really understand the value of being able to blacksmith your own stuff Um, because the game didn't really push back a whole lot until I got to a certain point there was one boss fight that I got to and I felt like I was pretty over leveled for this point and he two shot my entire party just everyone was fucking dead. I was like, okay, what is the deal with this guy? And then I started looking up and like the, the stuff that I was looking at, I was like, oh yeah, um, master these five passive skills and that will give you this passive skill so you can make this kind of armor. So I was like, well, okay, I've already like done a pretty good job like uh, investing in a lot of different things. So I have a pretty broad portfolio in terms of my passive skills. So it wasn't too much of an ask to get the things I'd uh, get the uh, the passive skills that I needed to do some blacksmithing. But then it was like, okay, now you have to go get this item. Uh, you, you need I, I needed some iron in order to do some actual blacksmithing. Um, mm-hmm. And then to actually craft the iron into uh, a more refined metal, I needed a consumable item. And you can only carry 20 of any item. So I, okay... I found a place where I could buy iron and I could buy this this hammer that I needed in order to do this crafting. Like, okay. 
Um, and the, the goal was to craft the iron to a more refined metal and then take that more refined metal and craft it into the actual armor that I wanted that would buff up my magic defense so I wasn't getting two shot by this boss. Every step in that process from taking the iron to a more refined metal to the actual armor, it's a dice roll whether it actually works. So... I had I spent probably a good cumulative over like a couple days spans four hours just buying a bunch of iron, craft like refining it, saving, and then trying to refine that metal or craft it into the actual armor, and I got a grand total of zero that I actually. Oh. I was able to get some better armor, but not like the ideal armor that I needed for that fight. And after spending all this time on this, I was like, okay, what is it about this that I'm missing? And I started looking more stuff up. And I started like looking at uh, like message boards and things where people were like, oh, well, before you start crafting, um, have your characters have really good like orchestrating skills, passive skills, and buy this instrument so they play this music that will give you a better chance. Like, game come on this has not been a vital mechanic till just now what are you doing and when i started like doing i was like no to hell with that i'm not doing it so i went back to that boss fight where i had like semi upgraded armor but not the ideal armor and i lasted longer but then i died and at that point i was like to hell with it i'm taking control of my healer and i just let the characters do all the fighting and just spanned healing spells the entire time and i was able to just barely eke out a win where like my oh. my last like dps character was like at down to like 18 hp and my healer was down to like half hp and i was, and I was like for sure i was like fuck i'm gonna die i'm i'm dead there's no way i'm winning this fight and then i got like the the, the slow down and fade out screen to get the victory like oh my god but that was like really the only fight where I had any sort of struggles with it. Um, but I, I don't think that the sort of uh, execution of these like deep skill systems matched the ambition for what they were trying to do. I think um, they could it, it could have spent a little bit more time in the cooker. Uh, we'll see how the sequel works out if they try to do this all again. Overall. Uh, I liked it. I had a good time with this game. It was just like, one really painful part where I had spent, like, sunk so much time into trying to uh, do something that the game wasn't asking of me before. Have I got this right? These guys have first and last names. They do. This is like the Bechdel test for me with a good uh, JRPG is like, did they give them last names? <laughs> I actually don't remember anyone's last name. Is it Roderick Ferentz? Rod Roderick, yeah, he's, he's one of the characters in the game. Ilya Silvestri. That's not bad. Yeah. Ronix J. Kenny. Oh, that's a good one. I'm looking at one guy here. He looks like a real boss named Doran Murtaugh. Uh, Doran Murtaugh. He's actually a character that's like with you at the beginning of the game, but then he leaves the party permanently. Oh, no. Yeah. Ashley Burned Belt. <laughs> yeah. That was all right. <laughs> no, it, it seems like there's like a core set of. If I'm reading this right, there's like a set of core characters, and then there's like other optional characters. So you unlock others, like Tanik Arcana. <laughs> I did not get. Uh, wait, did I get Tanik? I don't think I got Tanik in this run through. Okay, but yeah, it says uh, erotic, 
Ilya, Ronix, and Millie are like the core compulsory characters. Yeah, that's your main party. That's kind of like your your two DPS, black mage, white mage. Nice. Um, and, and you know, like as, as far as the 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 game is concerned, like it's not much of a sci-fi. Like you think with a game like Star Ocean, it's kind of pitched as this sci-fi fantasy adventure. It's more of just like a high fantasy. Like the only thing science fiction about it, or like spacefaring about it, is that you know your two of your main four are on a planet. Your other two like come in and sort of like agree to help them cure this blight on their planet and to do that they need to take their spaceship and do some tra- time traveling and they end up on that planet in the past and then you spend like 99% of the game in the past on this planet so like there's not like much to do with spacefaring or anything like that mm. but you know I, I think that uh, I'm not sure how the, the sequel is in that sort of aspect of it. it's much more of a sci-fi but I think that the third one which is on the PS2 definitely takes more of like a, a spacefaring theme to it. I see there's a character from something called Second Story that's literally a dude with two dragon heads strapped oh. to his back. Oh, wild. So, yeah, they definitely go... This feels like it's something out of like uh, Shin Megami Tensei. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Now you're speaking my language. Um, anything else we need to address before we go to the tier rankings here? No, I think just that JRPGs are for dorks. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's, that's a fact. It's true. <laughs> um, so let's do some tier rankings. I, it has been a little while, maybe a couple of months, since we've actually done one of these. So I did want to take a second to just review where we have things right now. I think it's worth just... That would be good. Recapping yes. for, for anyone listening what we have. So up in the, the tippy-top tier, up in Zelda, Mario Kart, the Mario platformers, Pokemon, Super Smash Brothers, Donkey Kong, and Animal Crossing. That's the, the cream of the crop right there. In the A tier, we got uh, Kirby, Mario Splatoon, Mario Sports, Mario Party, Yoshi, and Dogs. In the B tier, we got Fire Emblem, Luigi's Mansion, Paper Mario, Xenoblade, and Dr. Mario. In the C tier, we got Brain Age, Earthbound, Bayonetta, Art Academy, Pikmin, The Wars series, Punch-Out and WarioWare. In the D tier, Fatal Frame, Star Fox, F-Zero, Kid Icarus, Golden Sun, 1080, ARMS, uh, Nintendo Labo, and their sort of like toy line, uh, Box Boy. And down in the F tier, for now, we got another code, Sin and Punishment, Chibi Robo, Legendary Starfy, Pushmo, Dylan's Rolling Western, Star Tropic, and Custom Robo. And that's what we got so far. And we're actually like of decently close to ranking all of the franchises at this point. I, yeah, I don't think there's all that much left. We could probably knock this out in maybe one or two more rankings after after the set. So this time we got Mario Luigi, we got the Excite series, we got Wave Race. And one more that is slipping my mind right now. Pilot Wings. Pilot Wings? Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, honestly, I I, I literally have the same rankings for three of them. (laughs) Identically the same. Um, We're we're doing three different sports, I guess you could call them, franchises. And I feel like they're all very similar. I don't know if if sports is the right thing to call it. Do you want to just start with Pilot Wings? Sure. I guess we could just start with Pilot Wings. Let's do it. Since that's what I have first on my list um yeah so it is a flight simulator uh developed by nintendo ead 
Um, I think it's it's the probably the thing that makes this unique is that it's actually kind of just straight up a sim. This isn't there's nothing chibi about it. There's no like cartoon stylized characters. They're not slapping Mario in a pilot seat and flying him around. I think that this actually is supposed to be a pretty pretty like uh, straight ahead, no frills flying thing. In, um, okay, and and if I've got it, oh, go ahead. What's yeah, up? in in the most recent one, Pilot Wings Resort, like the the most sort of like uh, characterized, they make these these uh, sim pilots is they these me's. Yeah, and that was an era where where everything had a resort. They were slapping resort on literally everything they owned. But yeah, I have three games. Um, I see one on the SNES. Yep. One on the N64, and then like you're talking about, the 3DS had Pilot Wings Resort. Yep. Um, first game sold about two million copies. Second game one, and then the third game I couldn't even find numbers for, but I would I would pencil in three hundred thousand, maybe five hundred thousand. Yeah, I couldn't find any reliable information, but less than a million certainly. Um. Yeah, I mean, it got got good reviews. Got very strong reviews. Um, at least the first couple ones did. But even Resort actually had it, you know, was pretty well defended. It got like eighty out of a hundred, so not too bad. Um, did you before we go any further? Like, did you ever actually play these games? Have you played any of these? Games? I have. Which ones? And um, did you like them? I have played all of them, and not really. <laughs> the only reason I've played Pilot Wings One and Sixty Four is for these retro shows. I. The only experience I had had with the series uh, till we, like, these came up on retro shows was with Resort, and I think that like this series in general, like all all of these games, all three of the games come out like at launch of their respective systems, Super Nintendo, N sixty four, three DS, and on the Super Nintendo and N sixty four, they didn't have to do any heavy lifting. Like they were launching next to a Mario game, so you know they got to be like. The, the the cool down game like hey we we spend a bunch of time playing these Mario platformers that are really great let's pop in this Pilot Wings and they, they could kind of be kind of be like tech demo y where like they're doing like yeah I think they're supposed to showcase new technology that they have the new the new hardware and like the, the Mode Seven stuff with the N sixty four and the the three D on the three D S and the polygons on the N sixty four so. It, it's only on the 3DS where it's like a launch game and it's like launching next to Steel Diver and Nintendogs. There wasn't like a big flagship title at the launch of that. And I think that, you know, probably to the series detriment, probably to the game's detriment, that it had to be like a, a showcase title rather than like a sidekick. Um, and the, the 3DS kind of had a rough launch in general. And you might not be able to entirely blame the launch lineup on that, but it definitely didn't help that they didn't have a, a big heavy hitter right on day one. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see why that one struggled. But yeah, just, just to round it out, like there's nothing relevant in terms of iconography here. They didn't bother to use anything of their existing IP. They just made some plain games. Um, oh, and for what it's worth, I played the N64 version a bit and enjoyed it but uh I, I don't think there's any reason to revisit that game over other flying games games in which flying is a mechanic for <laughs> any nintendo console um so yeah yeah I, I i don't know i just don't think there's a 
kind of much of a place for this franchise anymore. Like if, if Nintendo in-house said they wanted to make a game about flying, don't you think they'd probably want to use Star Fox? Like, don't you think if they were going to dedicate serious resources to making a game about flying that fans would be upset if they were told pilot wings, but not Star Fox? <laughs> oh, you know, it'd be so funny though. And it like, it would anger infuriate dozens of people where like, Hey, we're making a new Star Fox game. It's going to be Star Fox pilot wings. <laughs> Oh my god, they would be so mad. Uh, it'd be so funny. Heads would roll. Head would roll at Nintendo. Uh, do you want to just get into some some rankings? Yeah, or, sure. Like or so the actual by by category. Yeah. Uh, longevity. I, I mean, I guess I'm giving it a D. I mean, I don't know. It could go a little. It's it's been around for a while, but it hasn't accomplished much in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I went with a D on that one as well because like there's three games on three systems with like in this 20 year window from 1991 to 2011. Um, and nothing since yeah. then. So, yeah. It, yeah, it was around early, but never really went anywhere and has been dormant for some time now. Yeah. Um, long. Uh, yeah, so sales, I'm also giving it a D. I think these are your kind of, you know, it's it's sold okay. I mean, if you add it all up, it's three, three and a half. I think ARMS is in our D tier, and arms in one title sold two and a half million copies, so it's just it's it's barely better than arms, and they had three shots at it. I mean, uh, I, so. I went. Uh, I, I'm not too far off. I'm like, I went with a C on that one. Like, it did sell two million copies on the Super Nintendo, but really hasn't set the world on fire since then. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't do great. I give it an A for reception. Um, there wasn't a poorly reviewed game. They all got really good reviews. People seem to like it. And iconography, we talked about, unless they slap Donkey Kong in the, you know, pilot seat, uh, you're not going to get much of out of this thing. It's an F. That'd be good. Uh, overall, I went with a D. Yeah, mid D. Yeah. Um, our wave race. You want to go to wave race? Let's do it. Oh, wave race is next. Actually, like if you don't mind, uh, let's, let's do Excite next because there is a connection here. Sure. The most recent Pilot Wings game, Pilot Wings Resort, was developed by a company called Monster Games, who also mm. developed two of the Excite games, Excite Truck and Excite Bots. And this was uh, a company that worked pretty closely with Nintendo during like the DS, Wii, 3DS days. Um, it was working on a lot of games for them, and there was like some speculation when Monster Games ran into a little bit of trouble that you know maybe Nintendo would just buy them out since they work so closely with them, and like nope, got bought out by somebody else called like iRacing or something, and hasn't done any <laughs> anything significant since. Um, huh. But uh, the the Excite Games, it's a series of racing games. It has this revolving door of developers. Nintendo did a couple of them in house. Uh, Monster Games did the uh, the Wii versions. Um, there's there's an emphasis on a sort of like off-road racing theme where you're like managing terrain rather than like just trying to go max speed throughout the entire thing. Uh, when you get to the the Wii versions, like the Excite Truck on the Wii, uh, it embraced a more arcadey side of the genre. Um, but just to go like to go with the specifics, uh, you got anything else high level that you want to say about? I have one funny little footnote. I mean, the the first well, the first one came out if I've got this right in like 1985. Mm -hmm. um, this is so OG, in fact, that apparently it's it's made by Sigeru Miyamoto, and the technology behind it was sort of the precursor to how Mario Mario's movement is and the way that it accelerates is built around the same way that the motocross game accelerates hmm. for Excite Bike. Okay. 
So I saw that they had, had mentioned that the technology used for Mario himself is built around what they had done with this, specifically with Excitebike. Nice. So, um, yeah, you know, like you're saying, it's five titles and, you know, NES, uh, N64, and the, the we got three titles. Have I got that right? Excite Trucks, Excite Box, Bots, and Excite Bike World Rally. Yeah, and there was a, there's an arcade title in there too, Excite Bike Versus. Um, okay. We're not going to have like actual sales numbers on that one. But yeah, like like you're saying, like this game came out in Japan in 1984 before the NES even launches in mm-hmm. North America. So yeah, as OG as it gets. Um, but you have five main entries in about a 25-year window. You haven't had anything since 2009 for longevity. Uh, I'll go with a B on that one. It kind of stops at 2009 and hasn't done anything for the past 15 years. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably a little better. I'm not, I'm not going to lie here. I copy and pasted my ratings for Pirate Kings <laughs> for this one. So I had it as a D, but if you want to give it a B, you're right. And if you're, if you're around an 84 and you're still you know, churning out games in 2009. It's better than a D. It's certainly better than a D. Uh, for iconography, it's random dudes on bikes or sometimes just uh, anonymous trucks or robots. I think like the best you can do for iconography, like in Excite Bots, you can race as a bat. So, you know, if animals can be your icon, I mean, I think generously maybe a D. Yeah, I think that's fine. And I think it's so wild that they didn't get like any personality ever to attach right. to a game. Like there's not famous motocross people. I don't know who they are, but I'm sure they exist. Uh, like Jeremy McGrath? Is that a name that means anything? Sure. That sounds familiar. Like I was like Dave Mira, but I think he rides BMX. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not doing a motorbike, which this specifically is. And also like what the fuck? Where's moto- motocross even like a thing in the mid 80s? I don't know. What a weird thing. I, it's just something I would not associate Japan with for them to make a game about. But okay, sure. Oh yeah, um, it got pretty good reviews. So I gave it an A for reception, and again, same same as above. I gave it a, a D for sales. Uh, these are pretty middling sales considering. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it's true. Like when you get uh, NES, the NES version of Excite Bike, you're looking at like four plus million. That's huge huge for the original NES but then like after that I don't think there's one that breaks a million like Excite Bite 64 yeah. doesn't break a million it's Excite Truck on Wii only about 500,000 that's real sad for considering how good that game is Excite Bots also on Wii a quarter million maybe and like the, the WiiWare game we'll never see sales data for that one so yeah it's, it's the, the sales are, are not good um, but like I, I think that Excite Bots and Excite Truck in particular are criminally underrated. Those are really fun arcade racers where it's like there's an emphasis on uh, doing things that will accumulate points rather than just focusing on coming in first. Doing things like off-roading or doing uh, big jumps or tricks will build up your points. Um, mm. And of course, you like you get the most points for coming in first, but you can, you know. Uh, finish the race maybe in, in second or third and still have a decent shot of actually like uh, getting the highest rating and being able to, to unlock the next course. Um, they do keep the NES and the N64 game around on digital services. I mean, they're doing some franchise care there. There's a game that came out um, 
a couple years back called Cruise and Blast. It could have been an Excite game, but the brand has no value. They went with the Cruise and brand rather than their Excite racing brand. And like, and they they have they have a racing game already. They have an in-house Nintendo racing game. It's called Mario Kart. They probably don't need another one. That game sold 50 million copies on Switch. Still going. Well, also, I feel, I feel like they just brought back F-Zero, too. So this is like third in line of their f- racing franchises. And let's be clear, F-Zero is a very distant second. Right. <laughs> so, right. And, we, and yet this one's got a pretty g- big gap between... We put F-Zero in, F-Zero the, yeah, in the D tier. Maybe that one deserves a yeah. bump up. Maybe we, we revisit that one. But um, yeah, I think so. But yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's beside the point. Because like, uh, overall, like I would probably put the Excite series in the D tier, but I don't think it belongs in the same tier as F-Zero. So maybe it's time to bump F-Zero up. I think I would, I would agree with that because I want to slap this thing right in the middle of D. Mm, Okay. Right, right by Excite bike or right by pilot wings. Put it right side by side. This is, this is the company. This is the Mount Rushmore of average that we're (laughs) building right now. So congratulations, F-Zero. You get a bump up just based on, be, just being better company than this thing, and and you know like if uh, like <laughs> Nintendo has their arcade racer that sells millions and millions of copies as well deserved S tier, and like if they want to yeah. make a precision racer, they do have F zero. So you know it, it's tough to find the 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 zone that Excite would live in now because of just how like popular Mario Kart has become. Yeah. Um. I don't know. So, so do you want to do the other third series that's basically like these, or do you want to mix it up a little bit and go with uh, Mario and Luigi? Let's go with Mario and Luigi because... Uh, a little palette cleanser. There, there is, and there's a connection here okay. to uh, the Excite series. So Mario and Luigi is a series of RPGs starring Mario and Luigi. It's, um, all of the games were developed by a company called Alpha Dream, and this studio was mm-hmm. developed in 2000. And some of the staff were Squaresoft expatriates, including a guy, uh, Yoshihiku Mikawa. He was a um, a developer for games like Final Fantasy VI, Super Mario RPG, Parasite Eve, uh, also Tetsuo Mizumo. Um, he was more of a executive producer than a creative. He executive produced games like Live Alive, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy Tactics. There's a lot of RPG pedigree that went into founding this Alpha Dream studio. Um, this studio went defunct in 2020. They went bankrupt. They couldn't make enough money. And this was another one, much like Monster Games that we just talked about with uh, uh, Pilot Wings and uh, Excite Bots, Excite Truck, where when they were having trouble, there was some speculation like, hey, they work really closely with Nintendo. Alpha Dream has pretty much only made games for Nintendo. Maybe Nintendo will just uh, bring them in-house they'll become a wholly owned subsidiary and nope nintendo was like no no thanks and they went bankrupt and that was the end of alpha dream and possibly the end of this uh mario and luigi superstar saga franchise in general that's yeah i i did read about that and i thought that was kind of a funny thing it's like this entire company is a rounding error for them like for nintendo as a as a company like they could easily absorb this struggling company liquidate what they need to and keep the talent in house i guess but even then they're like i don't know we just don't want to it, it is um it is interesting like uh and also and for them to be entrusted with mario and luigi seems a little odd right 
Right. Well, you know, they did have that RPG pedigree, and this is a sort of uh, a series that picks up the torch of the Super Mario RPG, the the NES game, Legend of the Seven Stars. We just got that remake back in November. Um, I was wondering why we didn't just include it at the time, because this seems like because I think at the time was it Paper Mario too? Like it seems like there's, you know, this is very much like a RPG take on Mario and Luigi. Yeah. So what'll end up happening? With the the two the two franchises is you know Paper Mario for the N sixty four does start out as an RPG it leans a bit more heavy into RPG with Thousand Year Door on the GameCube and sort of in between those two releases you'll get uh, Mario and Luigi which will be like their their handheld RPG series but after um, Superstar Saga does so well and they they lean more into like this this Mario and Luigi handheld franchise Paper Mario will drift more into other genres. Super Paper Mario on Wii will be like a adventure platformer, and then um, uh, Sticker Star on the 3DS will be just more of a straight-up RPG, and that was a weird bad one. Uh, Color Splash on Wii U, just more of like an adventure game. Uh, Origami King, most recently on Switch, is more of an adventure game. Like Paper Mario will move away from its RPG roots, whereas Mario and Luigi will lean more heavily into them. So like they, they kind of... They, they, see that it'd be silly to try to justify two different RPG series for Mario. So they drifted mm-hmm. with Paper Mario. But Okay, that makes sense. Uh, the Superstar Saga games, um, much like the Super Nintendo game where, where it's drawing its inspiration, there's the timed attack and battles, you have these isometric adventure feels with some platforming, there's a lot of dual attacks, like special attacks that use familiar themes from Mario games. Like Mario and Luigi will kick a Koopa shell back and forth, and like the more times you're able to successfully execute a kick, the more damage you'll rack up. Things like fire flowers, uh, piranha plants, like all of the the familiar Mario things you'll see in these games. Um, I like these games. Uh, they've all been pretty good. Some better than others. Some tend uh, to tutorialize a little bit too much. Some of them tend to be like a, probably a little too long for their own good. Their final areas are very, very long. But overall, I've found them to be all very enjoyable RPGs. Do you want to mm-hmm. get into any specifics? Well, are we going to count Mario and Sonic Olympics? Because Alpha Dream <laughs> also made that. And I feel like it may lack the RPG mechanics, but in, in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we'll, uh, I don't think we'll put Sonic uh, into this particular category. <laughs> I like that it was released in 2020, a year after they filed bankruptcy. Oh, was it really? <laughs> Just like, man. Yeah. Um, but I think it's. I think you're right. I, I guess that this, this whole series, you know, like you said, the, the original title sold well, and there's five sequels, which is kind of crazy. Released from what 2005 to 2017. Yeah, I think the the last. It's really consistent. The last original game was in 2015, and then like, uh. 2017-ish, they'll release a couple of remakes, like, after the Switch launch, and they kind of, like, set up for failure in those cases, because the Switch was already out, people wanted to play games on Switch, and they're releasing 3DS games. Like, Nintendo wanted to keep the 3DS going for a little bit longer, but the interest in 3DS software had really dropped off once the Switch was out. Yeah, um, I did notice that sales kind of taper off as the series goes on. It seems like there's less and less interest interest in it. But you know, you start off pretty strong. The first couple titles sold um, at least a million, 
Um, and it's also kind of mirrored by the reviews too. The reviews kind of also start to dip a little bit when you get into the very last titles. Um, it seemed like it was a really well-liked series, but then kind of, I don't know. Um, I guess my only other final note was just that like, considering Mario was in the name of this thing, it's appalling how bad the sales are. Um, anything with Mario in the title should be selling like gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, is this even a Mario game? And you know, I, I do. Um, I, I have some specific sales numbers here. Like, uh, like you said, Superstar Saga for the GBA um, moves about two million, respectable for for the GBA. Partners, that's fine. Partners in time yeah. for the DS doesn't quite make uh, the two million mark. One point seven five. It's okay, but but like you're saying, like you'd expect a game with Mario in the title to have a much broader appeal than that. Bowser's Inside Story for the DS is a game that I really, really like. In my opinion, the best in the series moves a bit, about uh, four and a half million. And there you go. Like, that's that's like... Oh, okay. Those are good Yeah, that, that's what you should be looking at for, for a game like this with, with Mario. Uh, and this is where it, like, it'll start to dip back down. Dream Team for the 3DS does uh, 2.7 million. Paper Jam for the 3DS, 1 million. I like they'll release and then two other games for the 3DS there's four of these uh, over the lifespan of the 3DS um, there's a remake of Superstar Saga plus Bowser's Minions of expanded content maybe half a million in 2017 and then in 2018 they remade Bowser's Inside Story the game that um, sold 4.5 million uh, there's not much sales info on that one but it sold worse than the game that only sold 500,000 so Ooh. yeah really really plummeted um, they really misjudged interest in that classic title <laughs> honestly I gotta not, not necessarily related to what we're talking about here I'm kind of sick of seeing all of these remakes and remasters and re-releases it's like it's you know I understand that everything is cyclical in nature, but if like the biggest games of the year are always just going to be remakes from games that were made like fucking twenty years ago, like can we, can we just make some new games? Yeah, it, like it's, it's always nice to I have, see original content. I have nostalgia for these things, and it and it is nice to see that like hey, Silent Hill two, a, a new generation will get to play Silent Hill two. But guess what? They could have already played fucking Silent Hill two. That game wasn't hiding from them. I really like when uh, games are remade, but like taking an opportunity to say, like, okay, well, what what is it that made this game really good, and how can we modernize some of the sensibilities of this game? Like the the Resident Evil Two remake is really really good, and I think like I heard that about is it Crisis Core? Is that what it called the Final Fantasy Seven remake? Oh sure, yeah, the, the um, I think it was Final Fantasy Seven Rebirth. Or that's what it was, whatever. No. Yeah, they kind of like changed everything around mm -hmm. the way that that one operated. They, too, so. they expanded a lot of content. They changed a lot about the battle system. Yeah, and again, like another really cool take on a, a familiar territory. They didn't just like uh, slap a new coat of paint on it and it's like, hey, here's the same game with better graphics. They actually took a look at like what it is they could make more fun about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like... Sorry. Sorry to get on my, my high horse there. Yeah, and, and you know, like... I don't mind seeing games re-released from system to system because it gives more people access to it. But when it starts to look like it's coming at like the uh, the expense of original content, like okay, like we are here to play new games. I don't want yeah. I don't want to pl always play the same things over and over again. I only do that with like Code Veronica. That game I'll play over and you over know. again. Like film doesn't get away with that except for Spider-Man. Mm. We let them remake Spider-Man every five years, but other than that, no. <laughs> um, so just like the the specific breakdown for for the sales, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. The, the sales, I, I give it a, I give it a. Okay, this is actually pretty good sales yeah, numbers. A bit more generous than me. Yeah, that uh, I, I want to see, but yeah. Um, Add it all up. That's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to ten million units. All right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. That's actually pretty good. I mean, iconography. It's Mario. Are uh, yeah. definitely the most. Gotta give it an S. Definitely the most famous Nintendo character. Arguably the two most famous Nintendo characters. It's got to be an S. Yeah. Reception. I gave it a B because it's a little all over the place. Yeah, I went with a B as well. Um, mm-hmm. Some really good reviews. Lowest it goes is like a seven point five. Uh, there's, it was really a mainstay of their handheld line, um, but yeah, with uh, some of like the low points were like the most recent thing. So a bit of an unfortunate way to go out. Uh, and for longevity, from 2003 to 2015, you got like five original games, two remakes. Um, you know, you got like a what is it, like a 12 year window of original content, and then a couple more years with remakes. I went with a C. Yeah, I think this sort of straddles that line between like our super lowest B and our on a pretty high C. So I, I have it as a high C is what I initially wrote, and I'll stick with that for longevity. You meant? Oh, that was my that's my overall. overall. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I have it written right in my notes here. It, it feels weird that a Mario game would go into the C tier. Can we justify a B? Like, are we comfortable? I think this the sales are there that if it wasn't called Mario, we'd probably think the series was better than it was. Um, I think that Mario's attached to it kind of is an, is an anchor around it because we assume that if, if Mario's in the title, it should have sold 50 million copies as a franchise. Um, but no, no, I, th- I think on its own terms, I think it's okay to put this as either a high C or a, lo- a low B. Let's stick it in the B tier. We don't have a whole lot of games in the B tier. Okay. Yeah, that, that seems pretty, pretty fair. And, and I don't know. Do you th- wait? Do you, do you think it'll ever come back? Do you think there, do you think there's ever going to be a, a chance that they try, even if it's not called like Superstar Saga, or if it's not that? But do you think there's ever a chance that Mario and Luigi go back into RPG world and not a remake? I think there's a chance, but you know, uh, time's going to tell. Because like like with everything, because I can't say for certain. Like, yes, this is definitely something that they really care about that they're going to do because they did have one studio making these, and they're gone now. So I don't know how much they actually care about keeping this going. And they seem to have like their their own other in-house RPG franchises now that they're really devoted to, like Fire Emblem, Xenoblade. So I don't know. They could also just like co-op the work from like the Mario and Rabbids people yeah. and be like, hey, why don't you guys make a turn-taking RPG? Yeah. You know what? Before this um, series went defunct, I thought that uh, like like a lot of other people like. Uh, it had become you knew what you were getting with these games they weren't doing much to uh, subvert expectations or build expectations kind of like hey here's Mario and Luigi and now like Paper Mario is in the game too so he's a controllable character Um, which canonically Mario and Luigi and Superstar Saga are different from Paper Mario anyway the uh, I, I thought that they could get like a fresh take and sort of find new facets of the, the mechanics if they just change up the main characters and have like Wario and Waluigi be the starring characters. <laughs> that would be fun. Because <laughs> you know, again, like it, it draws in, like it immediately grabs attention. Like people who are paying attention to this series, like, whoa, wait, those two weirdos, what is this game? Um, but yeah, 
we'll, we'll probably never see that. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's close it out here with what's the last one? Wave race? Uh, wave race, I think, is the last one. Yeah. You got anything? Take us away. Okay, this is another Nintendo EAD uh, property right here, except instead of motorbikes it's or planes, it's jet skis. You got three games, technically, I think. If uh, You got a Game Boy title from 1992, Wave Race 64, and then a sequel called Blue Storm in 2001. Um, so what do you got to say about this? Like, Wave Race 64 sold 2 million copies. Um, I don't think Blue Storm, I couldn't really find any numbers on it. I'm guessing less than a million. I couldn't find any numbers on it either, but it never went player's choice. Yeah. So like you're saying, couldn't have broken a million. Yeah, and then that Game Boy title was in the before times. <laughs> right. Um, I saw some pic- some pictures of it. Who cares? <laughs> it just, I don't know. It's wild that, like, that, that, that Game Boy game is forgotten. Yeah. Who 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 remembers that this franchise started out on the Game Boy? Yeah, and and I think that's uh, what people remember when they when they say Wave Race. What they really just mean is Wave Race sixty four. Um, you know, it actually did sell pretty well. Got really strong reviews. Really, really review really good reviews. People love the graphics and the physics engine for the game. Um, they water is notoriously one of the hardest things to animate and they made a whole fucking game in water and it looks great and it still looks yeah good. yeah for sure like the, um, the physics of the water behave really well the look of the water is always really good like as far as like it sales like somewhere between two and three million is what i was finding and i wonder if that's like if people were really excited to play this game or if it was just a lack of options because like early n64 games it was mario it was pilot wings it was this like what else were you buying yeah there might be a lot of just like there wasn't many options left or maybe it was a pack-in title like you buy the console and you get a new game and maybe there was a handful of people that didn't appreciate mario or something i, I really don't know i already complained about pikmin i told you i, I made up a, a fact that 15 percent of pikmin sales were grandparents buying pokemon <laughs> game trying to buy the pokemon game for their kids, Slander. Their kids. how dare you <laughs> So maybe it's people didn't know Mario existed or just like, oh, that's what the kids want. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a high opinion of this franchise, or at least like the, the two games, the 66% of this franchise that I played was, of course, uh, yeah. uh, Wave Race for the Game Boy twice. Um, I, I, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I, I played, I played, I played Wave Race sixty four too, and I hated it. Honestly, the thing was like so wonky to control. Right. It, it turns out like it's not fun to have a racing game where the course is fighting you. Like, I get yeah. like the, the physics are impressive and the visuals are impressive, and it's like this this sort of novel concept to be to be racing on water. But when like it like the the it gets really choppy and you're having to like always course correct and you're getting flipped around everywhere when you're just trying to focus on racing it, it's not fun yeah yeah um i honestly just didn't enjoy the actual racing thing but i really like it's you can appreciate the game it looks great it's just a shame that you're not doing something else like why why is it wave race and not just like you know big bass pro hunt or something. Just give me a boat and let me out there with a fishing rod and give me a mini game and I'm probably going to be a lot happier. Dave the Diver. Why don't they make Dave the Diver? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, no, that would be... Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
like, I mean, we can go through the whole rankings. I, it's literally, I copied and pasted the rankings from the other ones. It's longevity is D, sales are D, reception, I gave it an A, but probably could be a B. Iconography is an F, it's a mid D. Yeah, I agree. Just like the other ones. We have three of our four heads on the averages, at most average as fuck franchises for. Yeah. For yeah, yeah. I, I went with a D overall for this one as well. And like, looking at the tier rankings in general, it is kind of. Uh, interesting how often they try racing franchises um because mm-hmm. like, there's there's tons of like things where you're like maneuvering or piloting or some sort of vehicle and like, trying to, to snowboard yeah right. like and then just trying to get to a finish line first I, I don't know what it is about uh racing games they just keep on trying to throw things at the wall see what sticks well because a racing game should be fun <laughs> like it's just kind of it's something you think you should be doing but I don't know. It's also like, I mean, maybe there are, but I've never associated with this Nintendo console with like a Forza or like a Need for Speed. Like that's that's another style of racing game they don't even touch, which is like literal real cars. Yeah, like simulation racing. Yeah. Yeah, they, they never made uh, their own uh, their own sim. Hmm. I don't know. Probably for the best considering, you know, how a Wave Race and the Excite series turned out. Um... Anything else we need to address about uh, about these tier rankings? I think uh, I think we've settled here. I think. Hey, I think yeah. Four more in the bag. We're kind of rounding this thing yep. out. Um. So next up, we're gonna do a retro show. Oh, already yeah. a retro. And show. I, you oh, know, I, I am. Before we record that retro show, I am going to post the second half of the one we already did with all the movies in it because I haven't gotten around to that yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. That that may be our, our finest hour. Yeah, um, <laughs> We're just rambling about films at like 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half of just movies that released in December of Jeez. 2002. Yeah, it is wild. I, like, I wouldn't even talk about all of them. There were some um, that I have now watched that we'll be able to, okay. to lump in with January. But like, there were just too many to, to, to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll actually we'll have some some video games to talk about this one. Also, how how was the music in January two thousand three? Have you taken a look? I, I have. Um, February will be a big month for music, but January not so much. I think I've got maybe ten albums total, and a handful of them I just want to just kind of say they're out there. I think I think I think for two thousand three, I am gonna really try to rein it in. Okay. <laughs> I am going to not have to tell you the backstory of every single album I bring up, and I can just be like, so-and-so released an album. It's fun. <laughs> and I can move on with my life. C+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. You guys don't need to know everything. Um, yeah, no. Like, January was a good month for metal. Like, there's like three or four metal records I want to talk about, and a few other ones here and there, but it's not a, you know, January is usually a dumping ground. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. That's it. That's the end. End of podcast. All right. See ya.